0: Just ask, God forgive me, and he did. The tax collector prayer of repentance was simple, was accepted and granted. God does not hear the proud. James 4, 6 tells us, God resists the proud and give grace to the humble. The psalmist refers to his sins because he knows himself. He knows who is he, he's proud perverted as human beings that we are all. That's why he asked God to overlook his sins, according to God's mercy, in verse 3. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? He asked God to forget his sin, his iniquities. That is his object of his art, of his call, of a prayer of repentance. He is right. Who could stand in front of a sinless God at the temple. Let us, let us not forget that this is a song of ascent. He is climbing to see God at the temple at the end. He knows that he is on a pilgrimage journey to see God, and his request is to, to stand before him. How could he stand before him with his sins marked forever, if God marks his sin forever? This question is a valid one. And this verse is followed by a but, like a but that we have in Romans. And this is remembering God's character. But now we moved to another point of a psalm with a simple but, or chi, in Hebrew. Remember God's forgiveness in Psalm verse 4. It is like a, a light bulb event, a eureka moment in this psalmist's that is on on pilgrimage. Suddenly, is remembering, God is a forgiving God. God forgiveness, and you will read. But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. God can be remember? Can remember everything? But like the psalmist says, God is a forgiving God, and he for he will forgive. Our God, let's ask Him to forget our sins, not in a callous way. Not in a, not thinking that the grace of God is cheap, not at all. Let us ask to God to remember no more our sins, and we know that God is a forgiving God, and as it is written in Hebrews 8 to 12, one of my favorite verse in the Bible, or book in the Bible, for I will be merciful toward the, uh, I will be merciful toward the iniquities and I will remember the sin no more. As verse 3 suggests, no one can come before God directly if our sins were marked for eternity and never removed. He knows God's holiness. The holiness of God is the character kind of God that is totally different from us kids. Holiness is a big word, but it's very simple. It is different from all of us. And there is nothing in this world that's that it is the same as God. Nothing. He is an awesome and a holy God. He is totally different from us. Is that blemish, without sin? Nothing can compare to him. The Psalmist understands this. Others he knows this. We read it in the law this morning in Deuteronomy. God is a powerful God and no one can approach him except the one who are pure, but he is a loving God. And the Israelites are to wash or to purify themselves before entering the temple. And no one except the purified ones or the religious priest, could enter in the holy of holies separated by the curtain. This physical washing was necessary for them, for us, we don't wash ourselves. There is not a bath in front of a church where we go and we wash ourselves every Sunday. We enter here, well, perhaps you do it at home, but I don't know. But what I know is that this is a symbol. It is a symbol that it is spiritual. Before entering in his presence, we need to confess our sin. And our worship here at Black Forest, sorry, is we do confess our sin before entering in His gates, before worship, we confess our sins, and by the washing, and our confessing, and we are washed by His word and by His works. There are two kind of interesting words in verse three, uh, verse four, sorry, forgiveness and fear. In the same exact verse, we have forgiveness and fear. It seems at first glance odd or peculiar to have these kind of words linked together in the same verse. This is not odd. When we call to God on his forgiveness, we need to remember who is he. The most holy, the most handsome God to truly receive his forgiveness, as we need, is to fear him in a reverent way, as it is written in Hosea 3.5. And they shall come in fear to the Lord to his goodness in the latter days. To fear God is to venerate him, to venerate him. In our prayers, without pretension, God hates sins. It was, Pastor Sam reminded us this morning, God hates sins. When we pray to God, when we come in with him, we must approach him with honesty and sincerity, recognizing what we are not, recognizing what we are, Exposing our sins, whatever sins we have committed, humbly and ask Him for His grace when we approach Him. In the New Testament, we have read with Pastor Joseph earlier this year in Acts, of Paul of the Apostles. Sorry, how Ananias and his wife Zepharia, were punished for lying to the Holy Spirit without shame or fear. This is a good reminder. For all of us, which God we serve, for all of us, when we pray to Him and ask for His grace. When you approach God, we are covered with unconfessed sin, both voluntary and involuntary. John told us, the Apostle, in one, John 1:10, 1, if you say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. God can forget us, but we need to confess our sin. He can forget and pass over our sin. In the Old Testament, they had to offer sacrifices. These sacrifices were only shadows. Sacrifices were limited in time. They could not atone. Another big word, kids atone means justify or um, cover all our sins. We couldn't cover, the sacrifices were only temporal. We could only cover the sin at one. We couldn't sin, cover the sins in the past, in the present, or in the future. They were temporarily atonement, a kind of band not an ultimate solution. The psalmist recognized not only his own state, but the state of every being, And he says, who could before God, and ask him to forget his sin, and he is forgiven. He also knows that his God, he knows his God and his character, and that is why he can hope. We come now to the first section of the psalm, the waiting with hope in the promise of forgiveness. So verse 5, 6, waiting with hope, and I will read it again. I wait for the Lord... My soul waits. In his words, I hope. He explained why and how. The how is waiting with his soul. He waits with his soul. He's not waiting with his flesh, not with his eyes, but he's waiting with his soul, the nephesh in Hebrew. And why he is waiting. The reason of his wait, is his hope, is based on God's word. In his word, I wope. Here we can see another promise of God given to pilgrims like us. He has given his word and is faithful to his word. We can hope assurance of his forgiveness. Even it seems to not be real. None of us can show us, can show something to be forgiven. We all know in our heart that we have been given, forgiven by God, but I cannot show it. I cannot Prove it. If, if I was a Descartes here tonight, I would say, Prove it by experience that you are forgiven. And I could not. We all believe by faith in His Word, and we have hope for that. We read it in His Word, either in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. Our hope is not based on some fantasies. Or some misinterpretation of his word, it is clear and simple. And I will add tonight that some teachers today, especially in in some churches in the United States or in England, they will say that uh, this justification, this imputation, this hope does not exist. And that's very sad for all of us. We know that it is real. We have been given forgiveness, and it is sure. His word is confirming it, either in the old or new. There is no doubt. Don't listen to these false teachers that we hear sometimes on radio, or on podcast. We are not misinterpreted the word of God. I will show you this evening one verse in my view that describes at best God's promise of forgiveness, and I shall it already again. But I think repetition is good. So, Hebrew eight twelve, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sin no more. The psalmist awaits. God answers with hope. To hope is to have a positive attitude of weight, of trust, and assurance. That was was promised, and it was accomplished. He prays for his forgiveness. And there will be an answer for sure. We, for, sure know, for us, we are on the other side of a cross, and we know that. For him, it is something to have to come. It was still in the future, but he trust is in his word. For us, we can look back into Calvary and we see it. He prays for his forgiveness. There will be an answer for sure. We could apply this to all of us here present tonight. When we pray. Even when it's not a prayer of repentance like, here, like him. Are you are you in this attitude, my brothers and sisters, of answer, an answer of assurance when you pray for something? In James one five we read, But let him ask in faith, without doubting. The apostles encourage all of us to pray without doubt. There will be an answer. Praying is a mix of hope faith, trust, and assurance in God. God hears us for a certain, and we don't pray in a vacuum. As we read in John, the Holy Spirit hears us. Are you ready to wait for his answer, whether positive or negative, to trust him? He, the psalmist, made a request from the Abyss, confessing his sinful state, before the eternal God. It is easy to pray without hope, without certainty, without fervor. But it is. But when we call to pray with hope, our hope should stand in his revealed world, Christ. His answer might be delayed or different from what we expect or what we have prayed for. But be assured that the answer will be given. And his answer will be always wise and good. Next, the psalmist gives an illustration, an example to show us how much he hopes for an answer. Using a very beautiful Hebrew poetry, mixing parallelism and repetition. If you are not familiar with Hebrew poetry, I will read it again. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. In his words... I hope my soul waits for the Lord and hear the Hebrew poetry more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. We are asked to watch for God's answer, as the Psalmist writes, and just remind you, he is on the other side of Calvary Calvary. He didn't see the cross yet. He knows in his word that he will be saved and he will be forgiven, but he's waiting. For us, we're on the other side, and we do the same. Do you know how much the watchman waits for the morning? We could re- refer to two kinds of watchmen in the psalm. It's not clear, so I will talk about them too: military or civilian. Let me describe you both of you, both of them to you. The first one is a civilian watchman, and we can read it in the Old Testament. When they're in the field, they build watch towers in the fields, like piles of stones and they go inside in the watchtower in the countryside, in the tall towers to survey and to protect from robbers at night times. Imagine that uh, your crops are ready to be harvested and you forget to watch it. Some robbers will come and take all your harvest, be gone. Uh, And if you didn't want to do that, to happen that to you, you will put a watchtower and you will be in the field watching your crops. Especially at harvest time, that nobody steal it. That's called a watchman too. There is another kind of watchman. There is a watchman meaning the military. These military watchmen, where their duties as guards were different. They had to stand in the walls all around the cities to make sure that all the gates were closed at night time, to make sure that no enemies enter the city. And both of them, both of his watchmen were very eager for the morning to come. Enemies and robbers could come under the, in the hiding under the cover of darkness to do the evil deeds. When dawn came, the job were done, while gone and done. Will you sign up for the night to be a watchman, knowing that the night is endless with no morning? Certainly not. You and I will refuse to take a job like that with no hope of finishing. And psalm telling us that they are waiting more than watchmen, more than watchmen waiting for the morning. We are all, will all fall asleep if the night was never ending. Our bodies will tell us to go to sleep. Our bodies will tell us to fall asleep. And, uh, and it will be so Eager to close our eyes and to have a moment of rest, just for a moment. I was uh, in the French Air Force, and uh, I had to watch one time, and I fell asleep. And the officers came to me and they're like, "A watchman does never sleep." And he woke me up. And for me, it, I thought that it was easy to stay awake all night. It's not easy, <laughs> especially when you have a duty to do. It's very easy to fall asleep. And let's go back to the text. For we're waiting with impatience and eagerness for the morning to come, and we're watching for the rise of the sun in the east. This is where God wants us to take, by repeating twice, more than, more than. When you pray for repentance, we must hope with an answer, like a certainty, like the watchman, that morning is coming, to relieve them from their duties. After all, if the watchmen have this assurance, it's because they know that God, who is the one who controls the universe, he controls everything, the weather, the seasons, the planets, the movement, the earth, movement around the sun, the sun to rise, and the sun to set. He is the sovereign God. In the same way, when we pray, let's hope, that the answer comes with assurance. Even there is a wait, because it is God who answers to us. Finally, we are jumping into verse 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption. He will redeem us, he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The psalmist is reminding that of God's promise to Israel and exerting his brothers and sisters to trust in him, in God, the true Redeemer of Israel, redeemer of Israel. He is already proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. It is not it is his intellect that led him to write that. It would have been impossible without the work of God in him, without his the divine intervention, the inspiration. It is like the Apostle Peter who recognized Jesus as the Messiah in Matthew 16:13. When we pray to God, we must recognize all God's works. He's liberating action from sin in our prayer, the deliverance from the bondage of sins and forgiveness. This work was already displayed in part in the Exodus that we read this morning, the bondage out of slavery of, Israel, of Egypt, and the bondage um, and the deliverance from, Israel, from the captivity in Egypt, and when he brought back the Jewish people from Babylon. And more personally, let's remember all of us, we have been saved. We have been saved from, from sin. And if you have been saved and born again tonight, our sins are nailed to the cross the debt the debt is paid at Calvary Jesus um, John 1930 tell us when Jesus on the cross said it is finished it is paid the justice of God was rendered our sins have been wiped away if his son Jesus Christ has taken upon himself the punishment we are called to suffer our misery is gone not in part but in all. This grace was not free. Second Corinthians 5, 21 remind us, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ is the liberator of Israel, the redeemer. If you do not. If you do not know Christ tonight, bow down and ask him to forgive you your sin. To receive his grace, his forgiveness, with humility, love, and gratitude. Because none of us deserve his gospel. Ephesians 2.9 says, not by works, let any man should boast. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray with me to be free from any sins that still entrap you tonight in your life, my brothers and sisters. It is time for all of us to confess, to be free from the bondage of sin, and he will answer at this time. And we will wait for his deliverance as the watchman did. As they wait for the morning, they waited, they knew that it will come. All of you who are struggling with sin tonight, ask him to help you. He will. And finally, for all of us tonight, we are living, as I said, in the other side of a cross of Calvary. Jesus has accomplished his mission of redeemer. Last night, we are talking, we are waiting for the second return of, of Jesus Christ. But his mission, with no doubt, was done. We are in the already not yet kingdom. In this psalm, we see that even the covenant people can, mis- can be very miserable when sin abounds. Sins can bring us, all of us down, all our joy, all our spirit. When sins seems horrible and so horrible, my beloved brothers and sisters, there is no condemnation for all of us. All when in Christ are free from this bondage. Let us confess, let us repent, and let us lift up our eyes to our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ, as He has called us to live his glo- life for His glory alone, as we daily sin. Let us come even closer, more often, more often to, uh, by prayer to the throne of grace and repent and ask for his forgiveness and enjoy the rest of fellowship with him as he had taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Let us walk humbly s- with sincerity, honesty in front of him and ask others to, to be the, sa- do the same. Let us repent. Let us repeat all together as we pray him did in his call for the abyss of life, to remember God's mercifulness in his Psalm. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is a plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, God, hear our prayer. We want you to thank you for the redemption that you have offered us freely in Christ. Thank you for you, Father, to have sent us your Son to save us. Thank you, the Lord Jesus Christ, to have taken on himself our iniquities and to wipe out our sins. Thank you, Spirit of God, to have revealed this truth for some of us, for your redeemed people. Thank you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.